0: The Guardian. tax! 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 Students on the march, businesses on the hop. Youthful exuberance? Or could we be witnessing the first sallies in the conflict between the generations? In a week of civil and consumer disobedience, we'll focus on whether direct action can change behaviour of companies and politicians. I'm joined in the studio by The Guardian's economics correspondent, Philip Inman. We've also got the Labour MP, Greg McClymont, and Maeve McEwen, a student and a campaigner who's been taking part in the occupation of University College London. And on the line, we've got from the campaign group, the Taxpayers Alliance, Matthew Sinclair. Welcome to you all. That was the sound of London's Oxford Street this weekend as hundreds of anti-tax avoidance protesters descended on branches of Topshop, Dorothy Perkins and BHS, forcing some of the biggest commercial names in Britain to temporarily close. Among them was our very own Polly Toynbee who helped disrupt Saturday Shopping and Topshop. She told me earlier
1: what it was all about. Topshop is a very good example of the kind of massive tax avoidance that goes on in this country. Uh, lots of FTSE 100 companies are escaping with huge, huge amounts of money that ought to be paid uh, into the Treasury. About £25 billion a year is sorted away perfectly legally by tax avoidance measures that could be closed down. And Labour should have done and didn't and this government should. Topshop was certainly shut for a while on what must be one of the busiest Saturdays of the year. The till stopped ringing. Um, so that's quite a strong message to sell, send to Philip Green, who uh, at one point took £1.2 billion. Uh, out of his Arcadia group, uh, gave it to his wife, who's a resident in Monaco, who pays zero tax. And so hundreds of millions of pounds were taken away from the British taxpayer. So I think that sent quite a strong message. As to what the shoppers thought, well, some were pretty pissed off because they'd coming up to Oxford Street, wanted to go shopping, particularly in groups of fifteen year olds, but quite a lot stopped, listened, got quite indignant and some actually joined in. Polly Toynbee there. Maeve McEwen, you are with her on the great siege of
0: Topshop. What are you calling for? Presumably not cheaper skinny jeans.
2: Um, no, although that would be nice. But uh, what we're actually calling for is for Philip Green to pay his taxes and for all other tax avoiders to pay their taxes as well. I mean, we've targeted Philip Green because he's so prominent and because he has avoided so much tax. But, I mean, UK and Cut, have estimated that if Philip Green paid the £300 million in tax that he dodged on that... £1.2 billion pound payout that Polly Toynbee mentioned. It could pay for 32,000 students to go to university under Brown's proposals or the salary of 20,000 NHS nurses. So we think it's absolutely ridiculous that the government is cutting back public services, expecting its students to pay for the deficit, when there are corporate businessmen like this that could be paying their taxes and paying for it.
0: And Philip Green is particularly important because he was advising David Cameron on how to save money in government.
2: Yes, of course. Yes. Now,
0: um, if you're someone reading the paper, watching news, you get this idea that there's UK Uncut, which is very angry about the spending cuts and tax avoidance and that sort of thing. And then there are these various student occupations happening up and down the country where people sort of live in rooms for for weeks on end. Are they separate movements? Are they together? What's it look like? What's it feel like?
2: They... Started as two separate movements so UK Uncut has been going for a while and the student occupations were kind of a spontaneous occurrence after the demos in the 24th of November but they've started to come together and work together and we're certainly in constant dialogue with UK Uncut and we're in dialogue with all the other student occupations. We've also been talking to trade unions and pensioners groups and schools groups so the movements are kind of coming together and there's a lot of networking going on.
0: Now what does a uh occupation at ucl look like
2: um it looks like a lot of students in a room um making banners um it's a very artistic space the jeremy bentham room we've got posters up everywhere
0: what do they say um,
2: i don't know like no cuts we've got our demands up on the wall we've got save education we've got pictures of nick clegg especially david cameron eating at ucl yeah, I mean, there are lots of students around just making things. And then we have lectures every day. We've also had bands come in and play for us. We've had Emmy the Great come in, singer-songwriter. We've had comedians like Mark Thomas and Richard Herring do stand up for us. Billy Bragg came in and gave a talk So we've had constant activities going on. And when that's not happening, we have general meetings twice a day at 10 and 6 where all the students get together. And that's when we come to consensus decisions about how we want to move forward with the group and what we want to do and how we want to negotiate with management and about our legal case as well. Sometimes those meetings can go on for hours because we do have to get consensus on every decision.
0: Consensus, you mean unanimity? Yeah. Okay, and how many people turn up to the 10 o'clock meeting aren't they all at home watching cash in the attic <laughs> or something
2: no it's a myth that that's what students do students are really engaged in this movement they're really really passionate about it i mean it is true that there are less people at the 10 o'clock meeting but that's how many a, that's also to Five, do with the fact four, that they're at lectures how many um no about 40 maybe in the morning um and in the evenings anywhere between sort of 50 and 100
3: greg that sounds brilliant why isn't labour involved I think it does sound um, excellent um, to see that students are engaging in the political process. I mean, we often talk, politicians and others, that young people aren't interested in politics. So, I mean, I think we can't do anything but admire and welcome this kind of en- engagement. I mean, I guess from the the Labour Party's point of view, we are trying to pursue some similar objectives through Parliament, which is what the, you know, the Labour Party usually tries to do. I think it would be fair to say that we... Um, support many of the objectives that the students are organising and agitating for, and yet your party leader Ed Miliband goes on the radio and says he was
0: thinking of going to talk to the students, but doesn't actually go and talk to them.
3: Perhaps he's a man who likes to, you know, think about things and reflect on them before he um, before he comes to a decision. Um, I mean, I think from the Labour Party's point of view, there's always a, a balance to be struck. You know, as a political party, you have to make sure that you're appealing. As broadly as possible, and, and make decisions about who you align yourselves with. My own view is these kind of activities, as long as they're legal, um, are to be admired. I mean, for me, the legality is the line. Beyond that, then I would be concerned. But I mean, these kind of things, I think, are you know are to be admired.
0: Say, so would you would you go down Top Shop on a Saturday
3: and protest? I certainly don't usually go down to Top Shop on a Saturday. My own view of the that kind of activity is it's very important because. The tax avoidance issue is really a cultural one. It's about trying to change the way people view tax avoidance. I mean you can do you know, you can do things to close loopholes. I'm probably not quite as optimistic as, as Polly Toynbee was in that clip about you know the ability to close them down entirely. What you have to do is change the way people think about them. And reputational risks to companies is the key to get them to change their behaviour. I think that's why this kind of um, exposing you know, their tax avoidance to the wider public is, is probably the best way to go about this. Philip Hinman, you've been writing about tax avoidance for,
0: I don't know, God knows how, long. The years, Guardian. Yes. Did you ever think it'd come to the point where people would be besieging Oxford Street on a Saturday afternoon?
4: Well, I think we um, we always hoped that, that people would take it into their own hands because I think that up to now you find that there isn't any... There isn't any way for people to kind of get at it. You know, the, the politicians don't want to address this issue. They, for instance, from the Tory party at the moment, we're seeing mixed messages. At the moment, we've got a uh, – yesterday, we had a general avoidance rule. Let's pursue corporations and tell them that anything they do to avoid will clamp down on. And this is presented as a SOP, partly to students um, and uncut – partly to the wider public who they feel there's a certain amount of sympathy out there. Yet you have George Osborne, who had widely admired the Irish. Now, the Irish went down the route of saying, well, corporations don't really have to pay tax. We don't mind if you don't pay tax. What we want is the income tax from the employees that you employ and, uh, and the uh, sales tax from the things that are sold by and bought by those employees. So we'll get a sales tax, we'll get an income tax, but we've really given up on corporation tax. And I think that that's very much in that the, a mixed message that's coming out of the Tory Party at the moment. Matthew Sinclair, you're from the Campaign
0: Group Taxpayers Alliance. So if I assume, if I take that name at its face value, I presume you're in favour of everyone paying a bit more tax. Are you? Are you?
5: Sorry, we're in favour of everyone paying less tax. Sorry, what, you think of what that seems to have like the wrong so way. So you're out. you're in favour of Philip
0: Green not paying uh, his tax bill and actually sho- sho- shoving some of it onto his wife,
5: are you? No, you're just leaping from one thing to another. No, it's, it's very hard to police because, you know, Arcadia pays taxes. It's very hard to police what is the tax avoidance strategy of last resort, which is just living somewhere else. We can't force people to invest here, to live here and come up with this bizarre idea that we can we can tr- try and police ever more aggressively tax avoidance and that will really avoid the problems which have been created by high taxes. Um,
2: but surely the problem is yeah. that Philip Green does live in the UK. It's his wife that lives in Monaco. He's the one that did the work, not her. So he's the one that should be paying sure, the tax. And, he's,
5: and she's, the one she's the one who's getting the money. I mean, that's, that's, this is, you, you can't... Police the fact that that fact, 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 fact that someone can, can pay these dividends to whoever they want. You know, it's, it's not about who does the work. It's about who who owns these, who who gets this gets this dividend. Matthew, can I can I ask you a question,
3: it's, Matthew? It's Greg McLean here. I mean, do you not think that uh, if we look at an economy, we should be trying to? And I'm sure the Taxpayers Alliance believes in that people should be rewarded for the work that they do. And that's presumably your position. Why they should pay less tax because they have you know, they have done the work and they should get the reward. But in this case, Philip Green has done the work, and the and the reward's going to his wife.
5: But there's no, but there's, there's there's also investment. This this capital goes in, and, and that, that's how the money's come out. You know, you don't. It's about where that investment is and where the capital is, and that's it's not. You you can't police for the fact. You can't you can't decide that it's illegitimate for someone to give shares to their wife.
3: You know, that's that's Do you think it's right though? To, do you think it's right, Matthew? That's what if you heard my comments where that I mean, I think you have a point that it's 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 not easy to police, but whether we should take a view as a country on whether it's it's right or wrong to avoid paying tax. Do you have a, a view on that? I don't
5: I don't think that that that, that it's it's an issue we want to start moralising about because it is something which people will make decisions to try and get the best return to try and get you know, good value, to try and get, try and, to try and pay less. You know, people around the country make decisions about uh, how they, about where they live, about where they invest, about the kind of work they do, and that affects it by by tax and subs- subsidy. And if you try and uh, start moralising about this, rather than about how to try and create a system which encourages less tax avoidance, which encourages that. People pay their sh- pay, pay their share and their, uh, share, and there is both less incentive and less ability to find find uh, loopholes. So much more sensible strategies than trying to turn tax administration into a moral issue. Um, I'm because- sorry,
2: Matthew, but surely it is a moral issue when the government is trying to cut public services, and when these cuts are going to affect the most vulnerable people in this country. Philip Green could easily afford to pay that 300 million, which would save some of our public services. In fact, the top one. Thought thousand richest people in the UK. Are worth three hundred and thirty-three point five yeah, billion see, pounds. Not, not. Why it are they more, not paying for the issue, deficit? Why issue? are they making why would us you pay? Be
5: choosing political targets like this, you've, you've taken a moral issue, but you don't apply it to the Guardian. You don't apply it to you apply it to a transaction from five years ago. So trying to pretend that this is a high-minded moral moral campaign when you've chosen a very specific set of political targets is just disingenuous. You're you, you're trying to dress up in a language of morality what is actually a political stunt. And you, you're setting this up as if you're storming the Bastille. You're not. You're storming Topshop and this, uh, it, it, wandering into an Oxford Street store. This is, this is not some kind of high-minded moral campaign. If it was, it would be focused on where ongoing, where you can find ongoing tax avoidance rather than Dragging up some case from five years ago and getting the sums so wildly wrong. Things like the Vodafone case, where you're using figures around six billion, which just aren't accurate, where you're, which don't take account, firstly, of the fact that a significant amount was paid of that six billion, then doesn't take account of the fact. The large amounts of that had tax paid in other countries, often at a higher rate than the UK. So, to dredge out figures which are either inaccurate or five years old, instead of looking at where tax point is right now, particularly when it's very close to home, I think is incredible. This isn't a moral campaign. This isn't that you've, you have a moral sense that everyone should pay their fair share. It's that you've found a series of targets and you think this is a convenient way of attacking them. So well, Matt, do, do you, at do you do you
0: have, that's, that's where you dif- differ from UK and cut and protesters for tax justice. But are, are there points where you agree with them?
5: Look, I think that spending cuts are clearly necessary. You can't, we can't finance a state spending 50% of GDP. We, we have a huge deficit, and attempts to clamp down on tax avoidance won't help the situation. The reason, one of the ways that the government has increased, and undoubtedly will increase, tax avoidance by causing people to leave the country is by introducing the 50p rates. That's the kind of step which drives people to leave the country, is, is driving people to leave, and businesses and investments to leave the country. And that is how you've, you, the kind of policies which are being advocated here are driving tax avoidance. That's how you get it, and it's the kind of tax avoidance you can't avoid. You can try and clamp down, but what you do, if you try and close down the, the easy, to- the easy to- if You try and cl- come down some of it you, you, you invent new rules that people can't can't spread own- uh, company ownership around their family. You invent new rules, rules like that. All you're going to do is drive people towards the avoidance strategy of last resort because Arcadia and it's well, Matthew. What you might
4: end up doing Europe. is driving them towards further European Union. You know they might decide that actually the only way to combat this, the Germans, the French and others is that they'll have closer and closer ties because the corporations will drive them to do this because they need the money they need to support that wel- that welfare state i know you don't care about the welfare state but they do and you and you and this kind of really aggressive attitude by corporations and their accountants and their corporate lawyers who are the main gainers for all of this you know they'll they'll find that, that that's what they'll do that's the result
5: but you've you've got to face the simple reality here is that the eu doesn't exist in a exist in a vacuum the eu can try and create rules that will police this but in the end what it needs to do is get a more competitive tax system if it does that it'll get more revenue if you're worried about uh, a measure there's which no will proof mean that the, if, more if revenue, if you're worried you've got, about
4: you've got no backing for that if, at all if
5: you're worried about the rich paying less and that leading to ordinary people having to pay more then you should be campaigning against the 50p tax rate. That will lead to the rich paying less. This isn't made inventing spheres. You can look at the CEBR's research, the IFS's research. That will lead to the rich paying less and ordinary people paying more. That is a discrete policy which could have been avoided.
3: Matthew,
5: I'm... Policies, policy change than coming up with a what will in the end be a counterproductive attempt to try and police tax avoidance, particularly if you're talking about things like a general anti-avoidance rule, which means that you completely destroy the certainty that people need. And you go away from having a simple, clear set of rules towards having a principle which no one can be sure how it will be implemented. And
3: I thought the Taxpayers Alliance was standing up for the little man, but it's mm. clear it just are, stands up are, for big business. business. 100 100 it sounds price. like a racket to
5: me. So, no, see, what I'm concerned about is, ta- is avoiding ordinary people paying more.
0: One of the things that Taxpayers Alliance is uh, renowned for is its formidable organisation and its ability to get its comments and its stories into the papers. What do you make of what you've seen of the UK and CUP team so far? Do you, admiring or are you...
5: I think they've chosen some enjoyable targets. It's fun walking into, uh, you know, it's fun charging around Oxford, Oxford Street. I think that if they want to actually get results, they're going to have to start looking at, is- looking at discrete issues where you, rather than, you know some kind of tax payment made five years ago. Again, Matthews are
3: not a big difference so I assume UK Uncut doesn't have any money behind them where I suspect the Taxpayers Alliance is a well-funded organisation. Would that be a fair comment? I mean, look,
5: we've, we we we're, we're we're a professional organisation, and it, we're, we're generally we we most uh, right-wing. The last time there was a survey of this, this it found that the uh, right-wing campaign and think campaign groups and think tanks had significantly less funding than the left-wing ones. You know, if you want to look Where, at
3: what's that evidence, I would be, I would love to see that evidence what's that evidence Matthew where do, where
5: where does that evidence come from the Fabians? There's, there's a, there was a survey done where the telegraph asked all the different groups it wasn't an attempt to make a point it was just them um, uh, interested in where
3: all the different things are i will read it are. i'll read it with interest okay, okay. well, well listen let, let's 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 let's
0: let's park who's got the m- most amount of money behind them for a second um and broaden it out a bit um we're recording this uh the day before the vote in Parliament on tuition fees. And there's tons of different protest movements all converging on Westminster tomorrow. Maeve McEwen, is this the final bit at which we realise the young aren't so apathetic after all? Is this the beginning of a large political movement?
2: Yes I definitely think it is. I went to um, a coalition of resistance conference a few weeks ago um, and there were people there from all different backgrounds, all walks of life um, and different political affiliations and they were all there saying the same thing we are going to protect the welfare state and we are going to fight these cuts and if I can just come back to um, a few points that were made there. First of all Matthew was saying that we're targeting the wrong people, um, things that happened five years ago and it's not really relevant and current but I think you've got a lot more to come from UK on You're going to see that happen very soon. So you'll um, be going outside the also, Guardian Media Group's office. Also... In terms of targeting Topshop, I mean, there were more reasons for doing that than just um, Philip Green. We wanted to make the point that if you're going to marketise education, we're going to educate your markets. Um, So we wanted to go out there and educate people about tax avoidance, about what Philip Green is doing. Because what's trying to happen in higher education in terms of the Brown proposal is to turn higher education into a marketplace. Now, we've seen that markets are not perfect and Philip Green is a really good example of that having a market is not the right way to structure higher education and that's what students are angry about. And the third point that I wanted to make was just coming back to Greg and um, the question of Labour support. Um, we've had two Labour MPs come and express their solidarity for us, um, Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell. But we would really welcome Ed Miliband's support. We would love to see him We've sent him lots of emails. So, Ed, if you would like to come and visit us, you're very welcome.
3: Uh, I, I'm in the, the lucky position of being a backbencher and I can't speak for the leader of the Labour Party. But I do think that's that's a cool. the, the key issue here is the the marketisation of, of higher education. I mean, what the government is doing is by proceeding with an 80% cut in the teaching grant, they are... Creating a market. I mean, there's no there's no reason in terms of the deficit to reduce it by eighty percent. I mean, that's a much bigger cut than in any other sphere, and it's because as David Willetts has made clear that he believes that student choice should drive the system. He wants to create a market. My own view of this is a disastrous. It's a disastrous move for British universities. Philip. Um- is this the beginning of a real schism between young and old,
0: where the old actually have got their university education for free they can look forward to pretty well padded pension schemes, and the young meanwhile can have to pay twenty thirty grand for a degree and not have half the comfort to the welfare state that their, their fathers and mothers did.
4: Well, I think, I think it's certainly quite an easy argument to make that it's the um, you know, the over 55s who own everything these days. Um, they've The had, boomers
0: versus the babies.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And they, they're, they're the ones who are panicking about the deficit and they're the ones who are saying, oh, we've got to cut it. And it's very interesting that the, the, the new argument is that it is for the benefit of the grandchildren and the children that we have to cut the deficit. We mustn't pass on this debt to them. Even though there is no necessarily level of debt that you know is good or bad, you know we've gone from around forty to about fifty-seven percent of our national income as debt. Is that any better or worse than it was before? You know, Italy's over a hundred. You know, Japan's over a hundred. Um, you know, all these countries manage with much higher debts. You know, there is no there is no necessary debt level that you have to stop and say, right, we've all got to start paying back. But at the moment, we're it's a politically motivated panic. I think that that we. Should 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 have to start now and we have to do it so aggressively that we have to get back to where we were Um, even though where we were was higher than the Irish were when we started this whole financial crisis so so I think that there is no logic necessarily to any kind of particular debt, and and this panic is definitely a way of saying to the younger generation, we have to keep our assets. It's not about we have to pass on a lower debt. And there is
3: there is a logic to what the government's doing in terms of creating the market. I mean, what will happen is they will encourage down the line low cost providers to provide a kind of online higher education, and that will be for people who can only afford you know, a, a very, a very basic higher education. And we will see the kind of, um, you know, the, the, the generation of, of divisions in, you know, access to higher education, which we thought we'd left behind. Listen,
0: Maeve, last question to you. Here's a big question. Does any of this student protests and in this sort of mobbing of Topshop on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, does any of that carry on past christmas you get past a, a nice holiday at home with your parents come back start thinking about what you can do for the milk round surely it all goes away then doesn't it
2: no absolutely not um, I think the Tories have been very clever in scheduling this uh, vote just before Christmas because they knew that students would be going home and the dissent would kind of dissipate a bit but we're already re- making plans for what we're going to do after Christmas for what's going to happen next year we're making links with lots of other organisations and this movement is only going to get bigger.
0: And what sort of things can we see then?
2: Oh, well, they'll just have to wait and see. I'm not at liberty to say that just now.
0: Do you feel as though um, you're organising all of this uh, months ahead of the TUC's formal day of action sometime in March? You're also organising this in the absence of any kind of organised political party sort of getting behind you. Do you feel as though that's a liberation or do you feel that's a, a lack, a disadvantage?
2: I think it just represents the frustration of people with politics in this country we don't feel like politicians are listening to us and so we've just kind of had to go out and do it on our own i mean you talk about the schism between old and young and i definitely think that that's a factor i mean young people are so frustrated with our parents generation i mean you've destroyed our environment you've priced us out of the housing market you've got all the good jobs and now you're trying to take away our education it's just really 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 frustrating and um yeah, I think this generation is going to take things into its own hands now.
3: This is The Business with Adicha Chakraborty.
0: Well, from one country protesting against its government's handling of the economy to another. This week in Dublin, the Irish government announced its own austerity budget, the sharpest squeeze on spending in decades. Our correspondent Henry MacDonald was in the dial.
6: Well, they heard that a lot of people are going to be brought into new, uh, new taxation bans. They heard that 10 euros is going to be cut from child benefit that 8 euros has been taken from job seekers' allowance, for instance, that petrol prices would rise by several cents per litre. Uh, they also heard that things like the Ireland's low corporation tax would be maintained at 12.5%, and that there would, there would be cuts to ministerial pay. But it, in, in, in summation, I think that everything they were told in the budget on Tuesday um, was expected, had been flagged up. There were no major surprises. It's got the numbers it will have the numbers because the two independent members of the Doyle and who whose votes for crucial mr jackie healy ray from county kerry and mr michael larry from county tipperary have both said on the record that they're going to vote for the government in addition uh, a, a rebel member of fianna fall the one of the ruling parties has also backed the uh joe has also backed the government I think they were always going to get this budget through, even if the, the, the independents had not wanted to vote yes or, or voted against or even abstained. I think members of the main opposition party, Fianna Gael, would have abstained or been absent from the vote because no one wants a general election. If this budget would fall, there would have to be a general election between sometime between Christmas Day and New Year's Day, and I don't think anybody in the Irish political class wanted that. The belief is that uh, certainly that if the budget had not passed, that the Europeans the IMF, and indeed the, the international bond markets would have went into uh, blind panic over what to do next. Uh, the, uh, it looks as if these measures will be passed undoubtedly, and the gov- the present government of Fianna Fáil and, and Green- the Green Party will probably go out of uh, power in, in early March, and they'll leave this legacy for the, for the, for the incoming government. You know, the pain the will continue regardless of who's in power.
0: Our island correspondent Henry McDonald there That's all we've got time for this week, but you can follow all the stories we've been discussing on our website, guardian.co.uk. My thanks to Maeve McEwen, Matthew Sinclair, Philip Inman and Greg McClymond. The business is produced by Phil Maynard. Thanks for listening.
1: For more great
2: downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.